Every once in a while, a breakthrough happens for kids with rare genetic disorders. Who's responsible for those breakthroughs, and how do they occur? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. David Tichy, a practicing pediatric hematologist, oncologist, a world-class laboratory and clinical researcher, and an instructor in the Department of Pediatrics, Division of Oncology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Tichy and I are discussing his research breakthrough helping children with a rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. Dr. Tichy, welcome to ReachMD. Hello, Dr. Bloom. So what is ALPS, this autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome? Autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome is a rare genetic disorder first described in the 90s by a group at the NIH. It's a condition where the body's normal ability to turn down the immune response is hampered. Normally, when we're exposed to a virus, we get a cold, our immune system upregulates. Our B and T cells, two important part of our immune system, attack whatever is affecting us. Um, and our B cells and T cells upregulate two proteins. One is called FAS and one is called FAS ligand. And at the end of an insult to our body, these B cells and T cells interact and FAS and FAS ligand bind, and this turns down our immune response. Patients with ALPS have a defect um, in this molecular apoptotic pathway leading to abnormal lymphocyte survival. So their white blood cells last longer than they should. And that leads to chronic what we call lymphoproliferation. So your glands swell, your organs can swell, your liver and your spleen. And with time, these patients can develop autoimmune disease. So their body attacks itself because their immune system never gets turned off. So they can destroy their own blood cells, which is a frequent complication. They can destroy their red blood cells, become profoundly anemic. They can destroy their platelets and are susceptible to bleed and have easy bruising. They can destroy other parts of their immune system, their white blood cells, what's called their neutrophils, so they're predisposed to infections sometimes. Plus, they can get a large number of other autoimmune conditions. They can have autoimmune colitis, so they can have bad diarrhea, like inflammatory bowel disease. They can get autoimmune arthritis. They can get autoimmune lung disease and go into lung failure. They can get autoimmune neurologic problems, pretty much any organ in the body can be affected by ALPS and cause pretty devastating disease. How long do these kids typically live? Excellent question. It's kind of hard to know. The disease was first described only 17 years ago, and it's relatively rare. It's only affected, there's about two to 300 reported cases. So as far as how long these patients will live, it's hard to guess. Most of them end up living with the disease at least into their 20s and 30s. Some children actually get better as they get older. Some do not. And I think only time will tell what the real life expand is on the disease. So is this something that's been around for a long time but was only recently discovered, or is this a new disease? Probably something that's been around for a long time but only recently characterized. It's a interestingly rare disease where it was first described in a mouse before it was described in patients. That same group at the NIH was investigating a mouse they got a similar phenotype, and they discovered the gene that caused it. And then they noticed that they were taking care of some children that nobody could figure out what these children had and looked for the same genetic defect, put the two together, and actually described the condition. And how did you get involved with treating patients with ALPS? I was caring for a number of children in my hematology practice at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia with another syndrome called Evans syndrome. So Evans syndrome, your body destroys its blood cells and we don't understand why. Um, and it dawned on me that these children who were 
classified with this what's called an idiopathic or we don't know why condition. A lot of them seemed to have the phenotype of this newly described ALPS condition. So I set up a clinical trial here and with 13 other children's hospitals looking to screen children with Evans syndrome for ALPS, including patients I was following myself. And we found about a third to a half of patients who had been diagnosed with Evans, in fact, had ALPS. And do they have both diseases or were they just misdiagnosed as Evans? They have ALPS. Misdiagnosis is probably not the best word in that Evans is kind of a catch-all. We don't know what you have, but we know your body destroys your blood cells. And then we kind of reclassify them and we know what you have. Are there other diseases that are like ALPS that you see in your pediatric patients? There's probably two that just uh, for people who've never heard of ALPS and maybe think of. One is lupus. So patients with ALPS have autoimmune disease that can affect a lot of organ systems. Similarly to patients with lupus can have that. And there's some overlap with the phenotype in that the FAST pathway, the apoptotic pathway that's genetically altered in ALPS can sometimes be secondarily altered in lupus. That's why some patients with lupus have a similar phenotype. And then there's a number of other rare lymphoproliferative syndromes, including Castleman's and Rosai Dorfman's that if you're not a pediatric oncologist, you may have never heard of, that can have a phenotype similar to ALPS as well. There are very few conditions that actually have the striking degree of lymphoproliferation that ALPS patients have. So their lymph nodes, for example, in their neck can swell up so you can't even see their neck folds. It almost looks like their chin touches their chest because their glands swell so big. And that's almost unique to the disease, but there are some others that can do it as well. Prior to the research that we're going to talk about in a second, what was the standard treatment for an ALPS patient? It varied. So some patients with ALPS have big glands, which is cosmetically displeasing, but don't have as much autoimmunity. And for those patients, unless the glands were compressing of vital organs, they really didn't need much treatment. Other patients had mild autoimmunity and could frequently be treated with just routine immunosuppressive medicines, things like steroids that can have long-term side effects, but may give you a quick response. And then there was a third group of patients who had pretty severe and devastating disease that either were refractory to most treatments and not much worked for them, or the best treatments we had out there, things like steroids, for example, caused lots of side effects. Tell us about rapamycin and your decision to study this drug in the ALPS population. So I had first been looking at rapamycin and its uses in childhood leukemia. And one thing that we found was that rapamycin, unlike a lot of other immunosuppressive drugs, was very good at causing apoptosis or cell death in lymphocytes, so B cells and T cells. Because I also had an interest in ALPS, I knew that the primary problem in patients with ALPS is they had defective apoptosis in their lymphocyte population. So it seemed like a reasonable mix. I have a drug which is very good, very safe, been around for 20 years, low side effect profile that causes apoptosis in a certain type of cells. That same cell type is abnormal in patients with ALPS. It might be a nice fit. Was there any research that other people were doing that led you to believe that this might be more effective in the ALPS population? Other than the, just understanding the basic biochemistry and how rapamycin worked, there was nothing in particular that stood out and said this would be a great drug for ALPS patients. Now, coincidentally, around the same time that I was doing my research in ALPS and shortly after, around the same time, it might have been a little before, a little while after that I published use of rapamycin in ALPS, another group came out looking at rapamycin in a disorder called IPEX syndrome, which is another rare pediatric disorder that's caused by abnormal T-cells called Tregs. And some people believe that the abnormal T-cells 
that you find in ALPS patients are a subset of Tregs as well. And it, it looks like in both of these diseases, rapamycin may work better than other agents that are out there. This particular subset of T cells might be uniquely sensitive to rapamycin. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Tichy, pediatric hematologist, oncologist, and clinical researcher at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia about his research breakthrough helping children with the rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. So tell us a little bit about the testing that you did on the safety and efficacy of this drug to see if it would be useful for ALPS patients. So there is a nice mouse model of autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. So prior to testing this drug in kids, we took rapamycin, which has, again, been around for 20 years. Um, We got the mouse model, and we tested it for both safety and efficacy in the mice. We also took cells from the mice and put them in a Petri dish and tested the effects of rapamycin in both. We tested a large number of mice, and we found that the drug was very well tolerated, which we kind of already knew it most likely would be because this drug has been used in a lot of other conditions and found to be um, relatively safe. However, anytime you treat a new condition, you, you have to make sure there's not an untoward side effect that would not be expected that's unique to that disease. Once we showed that the drug was effective and safe in the mouse models, then we moved it to clinical trial. One other thing we did was we actually compared rapamycin to other agents that had been used in ALPS in our preclinical models and found that RAP was far superior. And the mice that you used, were these the ones that really initiated the discovery of ALPS, this sort of unique mouse that just had this same disease? Yes. So it was the same mouse model that had led to the description of the disease 15, 16 years ago. So you didn't have to build a new mouse model. You already had one available. So this was actually very nice. We had an idea. We wanted to bring it to children. The mouse model was there. The drug was there. It was just putting the two together. And how much did it cost for this entire safety and efficacy trial in the mice and the lab work? This was nice because the mouse model was there and was commercially available, and because the drug was there and it's relatively cheap, I'd say the total cost for all the research was less than $50,000. So this is really uh, one of those sort of Cinderella stories where everything comes together and really helps these kids. Tell us a little bit about what happened when you actually gave this drug to children. So, so far we've tested the drug in three different patients, and all three of them had a excellent clinical response. All of them went into a complete remission as far as their autoimmune disease. They're all clinically better. One of the patients that I've treated so far had large swollen glands in his neck that had been bothering him for years. He had tried a number of other medicines that had helped with some of his autoimmune manifestations, but nothing had affected the glands in his neck, and those went down as well. It significantly has improved their lives. Again, it's a small number that we've tried so far in kids, but they're back in school. They're feeling much better. They're in the hospital less. They're coming to clinic less to get frequent treatments. So, so far, again, in our small number, we've had excellent success. And would you expect this to be a durable success? The hope would be it'd be a durable success. I would expect it should be a durable success. However, every disease can have its success stories and can also have its medical breakthroughs. And I think if even if it's not a durable success, if we can get these kids three or four years and then try something else different, that might be a good thing as well. Are you actually doing a clinical study now for a larger population of ALPS patients? Yes. So there is a clinical trial that is open at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and there are a number of other children's hospitals that are currently undergoing the process of opening 
this trial as well. It's a rare disease. So unlike adult breast cancer, for example, where you have a new agent and you want to try it and then six months later you've tested a thousand women who have breast cancer, it's going to take time to get large numbers. But with collaborations with a number of children's hospitals around the country, the hope would be that over the next few years we test enough kids that we can establish this is potentially the standard of care for the disease. Parents and physicians of children with rare diseases are frustrated that there's no money to support orphan disease research. Sometimes they take matters into their own hands and create a breakthrough. I want to thank our guest, Dr. David Tichy, a practicing pediatric hematologist-oncologist, a world-class laboratory and clinical researcher, and an instructor in the Department of Pediatrics, Division of Oncology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, for talking to us about his research breakthrough helping children with the rare genetic disorder, autoimmune lymphoproliferative syndrome. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatment for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.